All right, gang, welcome back. Hour three of Sports Talk Saturday underway. I'm going back to the West Her Hotline because joining me now is Mark Stein. You can check out his Substack and newsletter over at markstein.substack.com. It's the Stein line, and he joins us now on the West Her Hotline to talk some NBA finals. Maybe a little Sabres and Bills, too, towards the end, as I know Mark is a is especially a big Sabres fan. Mark, thanks so much for joining me on your Saturday afternoon. I very, very much appreciate it. No problem at all. Good to be in the 716. Indeed it is, especially this time of year, June. I mean, there is no better place to be than Western New York in the middle of summer. It's not too hot, and uh, the weather's great. It's great for golfing. For me, I'm a big golf guy. But, Mark, I wanted to talk to you about, and we know in June, NBA Finals time, what a game won uh, between the Warriors and the Celtics the other night. And I, I kind of want to bring you on and talk about it. And uh, one of the first things I wanted to talk to you about is the, is the Warriors' collapse in that fourth quarter. Um, talk to me a little bit about whether or not that was something you were expecting considering earlier in that game you know the Warriors kind of go on a run the Celtics cut it down and when the Warriors went on that second run in the third quarter it really felt like the coffin had been closed but that defense from the Celtics and that timely uh, the timely shot making from from Brown and from some of the other players on that Celtics offense talk to me through a little bit about game one and what it maybe sets the stage for for the rest of that series. Now, honestly, I think the whole league is shocked. I mean, that was a classic Warriors third quarter throughout their five trips to the finals in a row. You know, they were known as a third quarter team, and that was just a third quarter haymaker that they hit Boston with. So the way the Celtics turned it around on a night that Jason Tatum is shooting three for 17, uh, no one saw that coming, and certainly not in Golden State's building. And they made know-it-alls like me look pretty stupid because, I, <laughs> look, I really thought coming into the series that the Warriors' experience, especially in Game 1, would tell. I mean, nobody on this Boston team had any finals experience. And the reality is it is different. It is a completely different atmosphere to any other kind of NBA game. And I thought the Celtics... The combination of the lack of experience, but also adjusting to the way Golden State plays because the Warriors' offense is so much different than anybody else's in the league because of the pace they play at and the randomness of the offense yep. where they get their shots on the floor. Just it's it's a complete you know a huge difference from playing the Jimmy Butler centric Miami Heat. But I mean, Boston handled all of it. They handled the big stage. They handled. The third quarter, they handled their superstar shooting the ball terribly. And, you know, to me, Boston had to win one of these first two games to win this series. I did not have them winning game one. Absolutely not. Mark, I've got to sort of ask you, and there's two guys that on on the Celtics team, especially in game one, that I thought were really the reasons why they won. And that's Derek White and, of course, Al Horford. And and I want to first ask you about Al Horford because it's hard for me to think of another NBA. I'm, I'm a big fan, especially of NBA history. And I'm having a tough time trying to compare a career arc to Al Horford. It's a guy that had so many playoff appearances and had so much success in the playoffs to see his it, what it looked like his career ending over the last two years, coming back and not only being a starting caliber piece to this Boston team, but a pivotal piece to this run. I can't think of any sort of reemergence of really 
super borderline superstar level play in a game one of a final. I mean, 27 points. Doing what he did was unbelievable in game one, but he has sort of been the story and the glue that's put together this entire Celtics team throughout this playoff run. Yeah, and that's why they wanted him back so badly. I think they realized pretty quickly after he left that they missed the intangibles. And, and you know, Al Horford was not a three-point shooter for the bulk of his career. That's something he's really developed late career. And, I mean, you know, I doubt he shoots it again like that in this series. I mean, that was, you know, the night of his life from, from deep. But he has become a very capable three-point shooter and, and really – his return, it, it really puts the spotlight on Brad Stevens. Mm. And I will, I will say that I was highly skeptical of Brad Stevens, a lifelong coach. In the NBA, we had only known him as a coach, obviously coming from the college ranks. He had no front office experience, not, you know, nothing. There was nothing to indicate that, that would be a seamless fit to go from Danny Ainge, who's really one of the most accomplished executives right. in the league, right. for Boston to turn this over to Brad Stevens. And Brad Stevens first move very quickly last offseason was to, to get Al Horford back. And between getting Al Horford, hiring Ime Udoka, and trading for Derek White, who you also mentioned. And I've always been a huge Derek White fan. I live I'm based in Texas. I've seen him a ton with the Spurs and I was in China with the USA basketball in 2019 when Derek White was on the FIBA World Cup team that had a, it had a terrible World Cup. But, you know, Derek White uh, never really hit his full potential in San Antonio. And that was, again, a pretty gutsy in-season right. move for right. Brad Stevens to give up a first-round pick. To, you know, that was a win-now move. You know, the Celtics really, you know, in February, they saw that this team had a, a win-now ceiling that, we weren't talking about the Celtics in February like they had championship potential. So Brad, St- Brad Stevens is on quite a hot streak right now. There's no doubt about it. And listen, I mean, this is a team that, you know, was below 500 at the halfway par- mark of the year. I mean, it's well noted to see them go on the second half run that they did, get through the gauntlet of teams in the East that they got through, to get here to the finals, I think is one of the more improbable runs for a team getting to the finals, Mark. And I, I, I guess for me... Each series you just keep hearing, especially against Miami. Well, you know, great defense, but will they be able to, you know, will they be able to guard the three-point shooting of, of Hero and Duncan Robinson? And then neither of those guys really had any impact on the series. And then it became about physicality. Well, they can't necessarily be as physical. And is is Robert Williams going to be able to play in every game? Because he'll be a huge reason why. We see what Bam Adebayo did when he wasn't in the lineup compared to when he was. And I just, I keep thinking about these series. And I go back to the, to the Milwaukee series, Mark, where, well, there's just no way they'll be able to match up against Giannis and there's no way to be their defense their depth you seeing Pritchard what he did in game one Derek White I mean I think I saw NBC Sports put Derek White's performance had uh was was like the Leon Poe game which I think is an awesome uh you know like Boston playoff memory I I just gotta I gotta say from across the board that coaching their depth and their bench players to see that happen in game one was great. But if you're just paying attention to the NBA for the finals, this happened in every series in the lead up to the finals. Yeah. Look, I do think, I do think in general, I agree with, with pretty much everything, everything you said, I would say the one maybe caveat is, you know, Milwaukee didn't have Chris Middleton. Right, and I, right. I think that's a big absence, but you have to applaud the Celtics. You know, go back to the regular season. 
they went after the number two seed and Milwaukee kind of happily settled into the three seed. And the reason that was such a big deal was because the number two seed meant you were going to get Brooklyn in the first round. And the Nets, even though they had an absolutely nightmare regular season with Kyrie Irving not even playing in half the games, the Nets still carry a significant fear factor. And a lot of people mm-hmm. were questioning why do the Celtics want the number two seed, but they not only beat the Nets, they swept them. And, yes, they got an assist with no Middleton in the Milwaukee series. Yes, they got an assist to a degree in the Easter Conference Finals because so many Miami players were playing with injuries. But, look, Robert Williams and Marcus Smart have been banged up, too. And after game one in these finals, um, nobody's talking caveats with the Celtics. They have the whole basketball world's attention after that fourth quarter. There's no doubt about it. Uh, Mark, I want to kind of move on to some other storylines in the NBA as we approach the offseason and the end of the finals here as it, uh, as it plays out. <clears throat> and, and I wanted, this is going to be a selfish admission here, but as a Knicks fan, I'm hoping that you're going to give me some good news about what this offseason has in store for the Knicks um, <clears throat> and sort of what your thoughts are about this, this organization's trajectory. Because after last year, Mark, it looked like they had been trending in the right direction. This year was a bit of a step back for the organization and something that I think if you followed Tom Thibodeau's career around, this is kind of the the tipping point for Tom Thibodeau's teams is can he get it into can he he gets them to that to that place and then they take a drop back but can they find their way back to what they were in 2020 and if they are who's going to be along for the ride? Well you know I think in this case Thibodeau's a victim of his own success because the Knicks achieve overachieved to such a huge huge degree in his first season and look the east took a major step up in quality going from the previous season to this season the knicks were never a number four seed right, you know right. they, it was a great run to get to the playoffs and thibodeau got the max out of that team in his first year but um i i didn't find it shocking that they slipped to the the degree they they did the reality is the free agent signings they made, you know, Kemba Walker primarily, Evan Fournier, they they didn't click. And now if the Knicks want to make significant changes, they're going to have to move salary first. They they don't have cap space to go Mm -hmm. out and make significant moves. So they will try to trade Kemba Walker. They will try to trade some other players to loosen things up. They would love to go after Jalen Brunson in Dallas to bring him in as their point guard. But at this point, they, they don't even have the salary cap space to do it. But I actually now want to ask you a question. Having left Western New York in 1978, the same summer that my Braves left, mm-hmm. if you, who is the most popular NBA team in the, in the region? Are, are, would you say there are lots of Knicks fans? Like, I'm just kind of curious. Is there a way to generalize hmm. people I- in Buffalo who like the NBA? Who would you, who would you, who would you think is their favorite team? I'm kind of curious about that. I think it's a great question, and I think because of the scar tissue that this fan base here in Buffalo and this this city has had around the two major sports teams, just really, let's put it blankly, like they just have not had a lot of success except for recently with the Bills, right? So I think that there had been, especially during the Kawhi run in Toronto, a lot of people that started to turn their attention, you know, an hour and a half, two hours north to that Raptors team and what a run that was, but it was short-lived. And and I think kind of you go back to the reality of this, and I do think there are a lot of Knicks fans here in Western New York. Um, and then otherwise, like, I, I think that you could have people here that are 
quietly rooting for Cleveland um, and the Cavs because there is a lot of crossover. There's a lot of like that same scar tissue that exists in Cleveland. Obviously, they won a they won a championship with LeBron, but prior to that, I mean, it's a very similar feel in Cleveland with their sports franchises than here in Buffalo. So I would say it's probably a mix between Toronto, Cleveland, and the Knicks. I would tell you there's probably more Knicks fans here in Buffalo than they'd be willing to admit. Yeah, it's funny that you mentioned Cleveland just because I left the area so young. I left when I was nine. So obviously I was not doing a lot of driving at the age of nine. I had no idea that Cleveland and Buffalo was such a straight line drive. Yeah. It, wasn't until, it wasn't until the LeBron years that I was in Cleveland and somebody said, you realize it's only a three-hour drive to Buffalo? I'm like, no, I did not realize that. And so every time I go to Cleveland now for NBA business, I always build in a way to – you come home, but it's just funny that I, I I didn't even realize that just having left so young. Yeah, and you know, I actually, you know, speaking of that, the the distance there, I would have pregame driven down and then drove back postgame. It's you know two and a half, three hours, uh, right down the ninety, straight shot. Um, so I would have gone to LeBron's last game um, in Cleveland. Um, the year that they got swept. So that would have been 2018, um, I think, right? So I would have gone to game two of that series in Cleveland. It was my first ever NBA Finals game. There just happened to be a couple of cheap, you know, upper-level tickets. It was an unbelievable experience. But, like, to your point, I got to drive to another city and drive back in the same day and go see an NBA Finals game to tell you how close it is to each city. Well, I'm uh, – I'm- I'm still trying to work on we, we got to get an NBA exhibition game in Buffalo. I'm, There's no reason no, not no, to. Nobody really listens to me, but uh, believe me, I'm uh, I'm trumpeting that one as much as I can to anybody who will listen. Someday, someday it will happen, and I will be there, I promise. So listen, Mark, you know, if you go back a couple of years ago, I would have been in college at the time. Um, the Knicks and the Sixers played at the Carrier Dome in Syracuse. It was like the Carmelo Anthony return, and Carmelo had just rebuilt this big practice facility at the University of Syracuse. I went to that game, and they packed the Dome for a preseason NBA basketball game. So you can't tell me here people in Western New York and Central New York aren't just chomping at the bit to get an NBA game, even if it's a preseason or an exhibition game, like especially with where the NBA starting to go talking about these mid-season tournaments man they should be trying to grow the game have those tournaments played at a, at a neutral site in cities that don't have nba teams that's how you grow the game you know well i am i am rampantly against the in-season tournament but as am i by the put, way yeah. but if they put some of it in buffalo that will change my opinion very quickly <laughs> So, Mark, last thing I got for you before I let you go. Uh, obviously, I know you being a, a, a Buffalo sports fan. My thoughts, you know, I, what, what are your feelings about this Sabres team? Because they went into the end of the last year with a lot of good vibes, probably the best vibes I've felt here um, in close to a decade. Is there some promise that this team is, is going to start to make its way back to where they were for really the better part of the late 90s and in, in, in the mid-2000s? I mean, I really have tried to maintain the optimism. You know, I'm not going to lie. I was just a massive, massive, massive Eichel fan. I, I just was. I was super invested in the whole tank to get him. Like, I, you know, I tell the story all the time. That the, you know, before that draft, the Sabres were in Dallas. And there's actually a huge Buffalo presence in Dallas. And, and when the Sabres make their annual visit here, I mean, there are – tons of Sabres fans and I've never you know I'm as a you know I'm a journalist but but when I get to watch the Sabres I'm completely just a fan and I've never had an experience like that in my life 
because the Sabres took the lead three times in their game, in that game, ended up losing to Dallas. But, like, Sabres fans didn't know what to do because we didn't want to win because we didn't want to mess up the tank. Yeah. And just, I, I never, it, that's, a, that's just a sporting experience in my life that I, I will I will never forget. So, I mean, it, it was, you know, personally hard to watch him go. But, I mean, look, it looks like the team is in a better place. I mean, obviously, I think everybody's excited about the way power came mm-hmm. in at the end of the season and looks so good. So, I mean, we, we are very due for a turnaround. So, let's hope that this, the way the season finished were were the seedlings for. I mean, we are uh, you know overdue isn't even the word for right. the playoff spot. I, I completely agree, Mark. And and first and foremost, thank you so much for being so uh, you know so generous with your time and joining us here on a Saturday afternoon. I'm a big fan of yours. Have been since your time at ESPN. Um, so really appreciate it um, and your time. And uh, would love to do it again sometime. Otherwise, enjoy your summer um, and enjoy the, uh, the 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 rest of the finals. It's uh, set up to be a doozy. Great to be with you guys. Awesome. Mark Stein there. You can follow him at uh, on Twitter at the Stein Line. It's S-T-E-I-N Line, and that's his Substack, his uh, his newsletter that he comes out with, of course, at Substack. It's markstein.substack.com. We're going to take a time out on the other side. Peter King was on the Extra Point Show this week with Sal Capaccio. We're going to bring that for you. That's coming up next here on WGR. All right, welcome back to Sports Talk Saturday. We're going to be replaying for you Peter King, who was on with Sal Capaccio and the Extra Point Show. Peter, of course, the, uh, the writer over at NBC Sports for Football Morning America. So here's Peter King with Sal Capaccio. All right, super excited to welcome our next guest in on the Extra Point Show and on the West Her Hotline, and that is longtime NFL writer Peter King, who joins us. Peter, it's Sal Capaccio here in Buffalo with my co-host Joe DiBiase. Thanks for joining us today. Hey, no problem. How are you guys doing? We're doing well. We're doing well. And you know, I think before um, before I get into you know the the, the Bills and your power rankings and all that. I was telling Joe earlier, you know, like you're one of my first guys, like growing up and reading. And, you know, I I grew up in Buffalo and the local guys were Jerry Sullivan and Jim Kelly and Milton Ornthrop and those guys. And then um, and Larry Felser, of course, as you know, but it was you. I mean, one of the first times I ever one of the first Internets I guess I ever had and first time I ever got an Internet was something called Prodigy. And I would dial it up and I would I would read anything I'd get my hands on. It was you, Dr. Z, Fred Edelstein. It was those guys. I mean. Boy, man, it's it's been a long time, and we have really changed the way we've interacted over the years. And how has that impacted you? Well, it's interesting. You mentioned Fred Edelstein. I remember uh, Fred. For those who don't remember him, and that's probably the vast majority of your audience, Fred had this newsletter that he would mail out, and in pre-internet days, and it always had three or four really good scoops in there, and so you'd almost wait to. Uh, you know, you'd pay whatever. It was expensive. It was maybe in those days, the 80s, maybe 75 bucks a year or something. And you would just wait to get it. Like you were, you were, you know, sort of uh, held hostage by the U.S. mail as to what they actually would get to your house. But anyway, and then he started faxing it to people. And <laughs> but, but, but be that as it may, I mean, it's, look, this is the, this will be 25 years that I've been doing first Monday morning quarterback and now football morning in America. I think I was probably the the first guy to do a long form football column on the internet. And uh, it's just, it's gone from being something that I would do when I would finish all my work at sports illustrated for the week. You know, some days we didn't get some weeks we didn't get it up till nine or 10 o'clock 
on uh, Monday night, and it would still be called Monday morning quarterback. But it, it just it has changed to the point where now I think that the vast majority of people who probably pay any attention to me or know anything about me or who've read me for a while, you know, many of them really don't know me as a Sports Illustrated guy. They right. just know me as an Internet guy. So anyway, times change, and you have to change with the times. Yeah, and a lot of people may know you from your, if you were your electronic media work, right? Whether it's radio or TV, you've you've been involved yeah. in all that. You go back to the Cincinnati Inquirer, you've been on TV. You still are. You're still on radio. What what have you? It seems like you're a writer at heart, Peter. If I will, but you tell me. Yeah. And 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 how have you kind of navigated through those waters on what you've liked to do and what you don't like to do so much? Well, the you know when I talk to college students or high school students and they ask for advice the one thing i i say is when i went to college i went to ohio university in the 70s and when i went to college all i wanted to do was get a job where i could write for a newspaper for 40 years and that was going to be what i was going to do didn't even know if i was going to be a sports writer but that is how things have changed i tell everybody don't do that you know, obviously right. you need to learn how to write. You need to, uh, no matter what kind of communication business you're in, TV, radio, podcast, or whatever it be, um, you know, you've got to be able to communicate succinctly. And so I think the biggest thing I always emphasize to people is to be diverse, you know, and do a lot of different things. Um, but I think what you what you know about the media today and what you understand about the media today is that the most important thing is that you communicate ideas. And it used to be that people only communicated ideas when you went to journalism school through writing. And now it's done in 900 different ways. And so I think that is what has changed. And, you know, it's made the business kind of fun, the immediacy of of everything. I mean, the, the stories I covered uh, early on in my SI days, I remember thinking, man, I, you know, I'd file the story on Sunday morning and I would say, man, I hope this holds until Thursday when it gets into people's mailboxes because there was no other way to get it out in those days. You know, we, <laughs> we, we didn't have a website. There was no such thing as websites. So anyway, yeah, times have changed and um, I think mostly, almost 95% for the better. Peter, getting to the Bills, you have them number one in your off-season power rankings. And honestly, anyone that's got power rankings, it's kind of hard to find any that don't have the Bills number one. And yeah. on top of that, they're the betting favorites for the Super Bowl. Have you ever seen it where a team that wasn't in the Super Bowl the year before or the conference or the AFC uh, championship, for that matter, comes in the next year as like the definitive favorite. Yeah, I not not that I can think of, um, but I don't. When I do these things, I don't often use a team that just won the Super Bowl being back at number one. I, I have done it, but I don't often do it because what fun is that? Not only does it rarely happen. Um, but it just, it, it, you know, things change so much in football that 
I just like to try to predict what the next change is. And honestly, this one was easy. I remember um, back in the 1990 season, I covered the 51 to three AFC championship game win um, over the uh, Raiders. And I remember walking out of that stadium thinking, Oh my God, they're going to absolutely kill the giants. And of course, there was the weird game the next week. The Giants held on to the ball for whatever, 41 minutes, and and uh, Norwood's kick was wide. Everybody knows that. But that season kind of reminds me a little bit of the way the Bills ended 2021. Because remember, they killed Miami and, and the Raiders in 90. Um, I think they scored like 95 points in those two games. And then last year, uh, obviously, the game over the Patriots was one of the most stunning football games I've seen in my years covering the game, that a Bill Belichick team just got – they basically looked like a JV team that day. And the Bills were so powerful. And then, obviously, the disappointing game the next week. But the Chiefs never stopped. Uh, Josh Allen, you know, the overtime rule stopped Josh Allen. And so, uh, you know, it basically that game caused NFL rules to change. And uh, so now each team in a playoff game will get at least one possession. But that team at the end of last year reminded me of how dominant the Bills were um, in the AFC playoffs in 90. So, look, who knows what will happen, but most of the other teams at the top of whatever list of teams, however you would make it, have had, uh, you know, uh, have, for whatever reason, kind of taken a step back. You know, Kansas City losing Tyreek Hill. Um, the, uh, you know, the Rams losing Von Miller and, and a few other guys and, you know, Tampa Bay having some injuries and and uh, losing a couple of really good guys on the offensive line. So, you know, we'll see. But I didn't have a particularly hard time choosing Buffalo number one. Well, we just talked about how the landscape has changed in the media. Well, a big way it's changed on the field for the Buffalo Bills, obviously, is the guy you're talking about, Josh Allen. I mean, Peter, going back to those days where I was reading you and Fred Adelstein, it was, you know, I grew up in Buffalo and watching Jim Kelly and Thurman Thomas. But after Jim left, obviously we went through the wilderness for 20 years here looking for a quarterback. This kid is different, though. I mean, he's playing golf in the match on TNT with Brady and Rodgers and Mahomes last night. We are just kind of blown away thinking not only how talented he is, Peter, but how much of a superstar he is around the league. Yeah. I I think, you know, two, two I'll just tell you two little things that probably – in the grand scheme of things that a lot of people wouldn't really make that big a deal of. But, you know, I thought that him being the sort of front-facing guy um, with the Buffalo supermarket shooting and what a really, really good job he did speaking for the organization and speaking for uh, how – all the hearts of Western New York were broken by that event. And I think he, he has sort of graduated pretty well into that role. And, 
you know, I'm doing something for next week in my column in which I'm choosing, uh, you know, the, the 22 most influential uh, people in the NFL in 2022. He's going to be on the list. And one of the things that, uh, that I noted just sort of fooling around with this is that, I mean, if you think about it, the year he was drafted in 2018, the Bills played 15 one o'clock games on Sunday. They were, uh, they had one Monday night game. They ended up going six and 10 and they didn't deserve any more than that. And yet this year, <clears throat> you know, they're on right now, seven nationally televised games, uh, including the season opener, two Monday night games, the, the Amazon game against the Patriots, uh, the Thanksgiving game, and really one of the best games on the schedule that I know NBC is thrilled about, but Green Bay at Buffalo in week eight. Um, And so they've gone from being an invisible team to one of the three or four really uh, hugely visible and marketable teams in the NFL in four years. And look, Brandon Bean is a huge part of that. Sean McDermott is a huge part of that, but nobody wins anything in the NFL without a quarterback. And Allen's been, been great, especially the last year plus. Sticking in the division, what have you made of New England's off season, which has kind of been, just kind of strange, like losing free agents. Muted. Yeah. Yeah. Is it the mystique of Belichick fading at all as he enters his 70s? Or are are we at any point getting to everything he does maybe isn't just he's a genius? And is is there any thought to the game is starting to pass him by? Well, I never thought that the Patriots were going to go nuts in free agency this year because they went nuts in free agency last year. They really couldn't do a lot in free agency this year. They really didn't have the bandwidth to do stuff with. And what the Patriots need is they need the guys that they spent money on last year, particularly Johnny Smith, um, you know, and Hunter Henry, but particularly I think Johnny Smith, uh, you know, he needs to come out this year and be a big factor. And I think if he is, then he's going to help Mac Jones overcome the loss of, uh, of Josh McDaniels. I mean, if the Patriots knew that John U. Smith was, was going to catch 28, I think I'm right, 28 balls and one touchdown last year, I don't think they would have leaped out of the box at the start of free agency uh, to sign him. Uh, I mean, if you think about it, I was looking at this the other day that Johnny Smith and Hunter Henry combined to make 78 catches last year. And when you think about it, when they signed Johnny Smith, I thought he'd catch 80 balls. I thought he was going to basically, uh, Johnny Smith and Hunter Henry were going to become what uh, eight years ago, seven years ago maybe, what uh, the Patriots used. Rob Gronkowski, um, you know, and and Hernandez, uh, Aaron Hernandez to be, and they just weren't. 
So they need to ratchet up their games this year so that a quarterback who's still young and growing and this year is going to be growing without the benefit of a proven good offensive coordinator in Josh McDaniels um, will be able to improve on what was a good rookie year, but it kind of he kind of fell to earth a bit in the last say month or so. Um, you know, it's rare when you have a rookie quarterback who's better in the first two thirds of the season than he was in the last third of the season without being injured. So uh, I, the Patriots are going to have a tough road this year because they're going to be asking Joe Judge, who's never ever been a play caller on offense and never been a quarterback coach, a whisperer in his life. Um, you know, they're asking him to do something he's never done. And at a time in Patriots history that is really, really important. Uh, and so I don't know. I'm, I'm, I'm a little skeptical right now about the Patriots. I think this off season, there's a good chance that Miami has passed them. I mean, we'll see. Miami will certainly have the opportunity to show that. Going to take a quick time out. We'll bring you the rest of Peter King's interview with Sale on the Extra Point Show. On the other side, you're listening to Sports Talk Saturday on WGR. All right, welcome back to our final segment here on Sports Talk Saturday. We'll bring you the rest here of Peter King's interview from Football Morning in America on NBC Sports with Sal Capaccio. Peter King joining us on the Wester Hotline. In your power rankings, profootballtalk.nbc.com. The one, two, and three teams are all AFC. But you have the Chargers over the Chiefs, which I think is notable. How do you see that AFC West kind of playing out with all of those additions? And are the Chargers, because you have the Bills as your number one team, are they maybe the biggest threat to the Bills getting to the Super Bowl? Well, here's the issue, you know, with trying to project something like that. Like, I think the Chargers, the two teams that, in my opinion, really improved significantly in this offseason are the Chargers and the Eagles. And uh, and other teams tinkered and, and helped themselves. I mean, obviously – uh, Von Miller and, and Elam are both going to help Buffalo's defense. But uh, I think when you look at the Chargers, they get two guys to bolster their defensive front. They were a bad run defense team last year. Sebastian Joseph Day is a big get for them. Khalil Mack's a big get for them because now it's not only Joey Bosa uh, who on that defensive front that you have to be concerned with. And then they got the best corner on the market in J.C. Jackson. So they really have helped themselves a lot. And um, but, but the reason that I am saying but there is because it's going to be very hard for a team in the AFC West to win home field, any team to win home field, because – um, you, you basically have gone from, you know, I did something in, in the column the other day about how, you know, Kansas City, basically over the last six years, they won the AFC West six years in a row. And they, you know, they just absolutely dominated in division play. And so I kind of look at all that without throwing an asterisk on there and saying that, look, whoever wins the AFC West is probably going to have to go on the road at some point in the playoffs. 
um, you know, to get to the Super Bowl. So that's always problematic. And look, I think especially if Buffalo, I, I'm not a huge home field means a lot in football anymore uh, because it's been shown over the last few years in the playoffs that it's not all that important. But the one team in the NFL that I do think would have a significant home field advantage in the playoffs is Buffalo. So whoever comes out of the West, in my opinion, is probably going to be the second best team in the AFC. Baltimore or Cincinnati might prove me wrong on that. But uh, I, I, you know, if I'm just guessing, I think it's the best in the West and Buffalo, and then we'll see. One more for me, Peter. Knowing that nobody really truly knows what's going to happen with Deshaun Watson, I don't know, do, do, does anything come to your mind for what the most likely outcome is for him in terms of his suspension, when the suspension comes, this year, next year, anything on Watson? I don't have any idea. I'm just like everybody else. Um, what's different about it this year is that in the last labor agreement, the players and the owners agreed that the first shot out of the box, the first uh, disciplinary, the first courtroom where uh, major discipline is going to be handled is in, um, you know, is in a group of people who have been agreed to by the union and by the league as neutral arbiters of major disciplinary cases. And so uh, there's a woman whose name escapes me who is going to be the, uh, the person who hands down the discipline on Deshaun Watson. And it's pretty hard to make an educated prediction on that when she's never done this before, <laughs> you know, and we can all sit here and say, well, you know, you saw what major league baseball did with Trevor Bauer and, so, and Mike Florio has said this, and I think he very well could be right, that that at the end of the day, uh, this is not going to be uh, sort of the four games, not slap on the wrist, but the lesser suspension that, that Ben Roethlisberger got, whatever it was, 15 years ago or however many years ago it was when, when, when he was suspended uh, for his uh, sexual misdeeds. Um, but so I don't know that anybody can make a real logical prediction, but I will say that even after um, the uh, independent arbiter hands down her ruling in this, uh, Roger Goodell is going to hear the appeal. So, you know, I think that if Deshaun Watson decides to appeal, I'd be surprised if he didn't, but if he decides to appeal, then maybe we get a more predictable uh, verdict when when Roger Goodell either affirms or uh, lets uh, you know or 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 tries to change or does change uh, the final verdict. But I think it could be anything, and I I do not rule out the fact that the NFL could suspend him for some length of time this year, and then depending on the outcome of the 23 civil lawsuits, which are not even going to begin wending their way through the legal system until at least next February. 
um, you know, who knows? Maybe uh, there will be a second part of this suspension. But whatever it is, in my opinion, this is this to me it's such a black eye for the Browns to have stepped out and to do what they did with um, the contract of Deshaun Watson. But hey, we'll uh, we'll see what 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 happens in his discipline. Peter, let's uh, wrap it up by just bringing it back to Buffalo. It's not completely signed, sealed, and delivered, but uh, we're on track to get a new stadium here. And, you know, you've been around long enough to see a lot of franchise movement and these these teams now getting sold. I mean, what, the, the, the Broncos are going to go for over $4 billion, it appears, which is crazy, these stadiums and how much they're costing. But just how's it hit you? Buffalo, hey, look, I was I, you were covering that game against the Raiders. I was a senior in high school in the first row of the upper deck at this stadium wow. back then, and now we're going to yeah. be, and I'll, I'll be on the sidelines covering the team at the uh, stadium across the street in a few years. Yeah. Well, here's the way I look at it. The Bills are, are Western New York and the Bills are fortunate for two things. Number one, Roger Goodell's got a very soft spot in his heart for the Buffalo Bills. You know, uh, growing up in the wider area and um, being a big fan of understanding. See, I think I think one of the things that the NFL has done a poor job with is they had a, a manic fan base in Oakland and gave it away. They had a manic fan base in San Diego and gave that away. And probably no teams will ever go back there. That would just be my guess. But And so in Buffalo, you might have argued the same thing. If the commissioner was, you know, John Doe from – uh, Miami, Florida, who, you know, really had no ties to the bills. And uh, if it, it, the other part of this is the governor of the state, obviously, you know, being such a Buffalo person, I mean, I wonder what would have happened had the governor of the state been, uh, been Cuomo or, somebody from say Westchester County or, or Brooklyn or something, would there have been as much tendency to say, we've got to do everything it takes to make sure that the bills for the future, for at least the next two generations, uh, never, never leave this area. And so I think it, I think this franchise for the people of Western New York, that plus the fact that they're winning now, they're not like coming off a two and 15 season. So it's, it's a little bit easier to go nuts to keep the team. And I think the state and the league really thought it was important. And I applaud them for doing so. All right, Peter. Well, I know you got a vacation coming up. That's why we were able to get you on today. And thanks for doing that. You got anything cool planned on vacation? You go anywhere cool? Going to Italy. Oh, we, we had Ooh. my 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 wife and I were uh, two years ago. We we're married for forty years, and so oh, we congratulations planned this. We planned this uh, uh, trip to Italy for our anniversary, and then obviously we postponed it in you know in twenty twenty. We postponed it in twenty twenty one. So uh, we're gonna we're gonna do it this year, and so we're 
we're really excited about it. We're big fans of Italy. I am going to Italy as well at the end of the month on a Mediterranean wow. cruise down the coast of Italy. My father came from Exciting. near Naples. Yeah, so I'm actually going wow. to Pompeii for the first time. I've never been there. Wow, I've never been there either. That's very, very cool. Are you gonna you're gonna make your trip to Fisher this year though, right? You always come out to Fisher. Yeah, I'll be. I will be. Uh, it, it, is training camp going to be there this yes, year? Yes, yes, they've announced yep. it. And you know, it's oh, uh, if you go by the CBA, forty-seven days back is where you can start. That would the Bills are in the opener. That would put you at July twenty-third. So it's going to be an early start. But yes, they have announced the Bills will be back at St. John Fisher this year. Good. I'm glad about that. That's a that is a great place for training camp. I've always been a huge fan. I really missed it last year yeah. when uh, when camp was uh, was over in Orchard Park. But hey, that's cool. I'm glad that's happening. Well, listen, when you get there, say hi. I know I will. Thanks for coming on. I really appreciate it. And uh, you're no one problem. of the titans in the industry. And you know what? I, I don't just love football. Josh Allen said this last night. I love what he said. He said, I don't just love football. I care about football. And I know you care about football. And it's people like you who um, who keep football going the way it is and keep it in our conscious everyday consciousness. So thank you very much for that. That was NBC Sports' Peter King. I'm Nate Geary. That's Zach Jones. Thanks to all my guests today and this morning, uh, Stephen Ruiz of The Ringer, Doran Dickerson of 93.7 The Fan, our Odyssey sister station in Pittsburgh, to Mike Tanier of Football Outsiders, and of Mark Stein, who covers the NBA. I'm Nate Geary again. That's Zach's Jack Jones. We appreciate you listening here on Sports Talk Saturday. We'll be back next week with another edition here on WGR Sports Radio 550.